while you are folding episode 36, The Dinner Table. Hi, I'm Catherine Boucher, and you're listening to While You Are Folding. This show is my weekly excuse to talk about my favorite things, marriage, parenting, faith, friendship, culture, what I'm reading and watching, and whatever else strikes my fancy. I've been a wife for 11 years and a mother for nine. I won't pretend to be an expert. I will introduce you to some amazing guests, ask a whole bunch of questions, invite you into the conversation, and encourage you to share what you heard while you were folding. Let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come Holy Spirit, teach me how to pray. Heavenly Father, tonight we ask your blessings upon us for our families during these summer months. Tonight we're going to be talking about gathering around the dinner table and what that's looking like in our family. But more than anything, we just ask that you be with our families as we gather together, however imperfectly we make that happen, whether we're having dinner together as a family every night or not, that we are committing ourselves to having some regular time to connect, to gather closer to one another and to you. And we ask that you bless that time. We ask that you strengthen our families and that you bless all of us who are called to the vocation of marriage to build us up because Satan wants nothing more than to divide us. We ask you to help each of us to lean on you more strongly and that you encourage anyone who's feeling discouragement in family life and in marriage right now. And we pray these things through your name. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, hello, listeners. Uh, I am back with another imperfect episode of While You Were Folding. And episode 35 about self-sabotage got a whole lot of feedback. And since I mentioned Philip in last week's episode, I actually invited him to come down to the basement and record a quick episode with me. But before we get to talking about self-sabotage, I wanted to give a quick update and a book recommendation. I started Sonia Corbett, that's C-O-R-B-I-T-T. She has a great Bible study that I started last week. It's called Fearless. And if I could sum it up so far, I would say that the Bible study is a great introductory Bible study to get people thinking about spiritual warfare, how the devil is real that we don't need to fear him, hence the name of the Bible study, Fearless, but that we have to be aware of him as the reality that he is and to start to learn about his tactics and how he works and how he usually operates in the day-to-day. And I have really enjoyed it so far, and I definitely recommend it. I'm only a chapter in, but I just wanted to be sure and pass that along. And also... I wanted to give an update on potty training. Our daughter, Dorothy, turned three back in March. And uh, Philip and I were talking about it before we started recording. I think you could definitely say that we are pretty 
late to the game with potty training and we're pretty lazy potty training parents. Would you agree with that, Philip? I would say we're on the lazier side of the parents that I know that potty train their children, yes. <laughs> <laughs> because as a pediatrician, for those of you who have never heard Philip on the podcast before, he's a pediatrician. He talks to parents all day long about things like potty training. How old are most of your patients' kids when they start potty training? Probably the average age is like two, two and a half, something like that. Okay. So how old are our kids when we typically potty train? Usually a little over three. So yeah, they're a little late to the game. Not super late. I mean, they're all potty trained before kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I would say that we basically wait until they're able to do every single aspect of the going to the bathroom routine by themselves before we get the party started. Yeah, we're kind of resistant to the idea. We have enough people that have to go potty before we can get in the car to go to the library. And so if we can just hold off on that as long as possible, that's one less person that has to go potty once they get in their car seat. So Yeah, basically our approach to parenting is a little selfish. How is it going to make <laughs> our lives as peaceful as possible? Ugh, I'd rather just change a diaper. <laughs> yeah, diapers are easier, aren't they? <laughs> yes. So potty training Dorothy is going well so far. She's had a good attitude about it, and I think that's mostly because we've decided we're not above bribery. Yeah, we've been using um, all sorts of treats and rewards to get her to go in the potty but it's worked well for her she's kind of a material girl and so (laughs) we've just embraced that and she gets potty prizes all the time and uh, likes to show them off and even special prizes for pooping on the potty Mm -hmm. so plenty of bribes yeah the grocery store um I guess grocery stores are trying to diversify their income and try and get more people in the doors because our grocery store created an entire aisle devoted to Claire's jewelry and hair products and you name it. And we have an entire shopping bag full of Claire's paraphernalia for potty prizes for Dorothy right now. But anything sparkly or with a unicorn seems to be getting her motivated to use the potty. So... She's all about it. Yeah. She's making progress. Yeah. And uh, I'm not interested in the three-day, my kid's going to be naked and peeing all over the place. (laughs) Right. Even our slow progress, she still does pee all over the place from time to time. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't go on the college transcript, so. That's true. I'm not too worried about it. Okay. So that's what's new around here. Let's give our update on how self-sabotage is going. You want to go first? So we talked about the two different ways that you've been self-sabotaging. You want to fill the listeners in? So one way that I do that a lot is through procrastination. And it often comes at the point where I'm trying to create or produce something new, like some new content for my blog or podcast or whatever. And... I use perfectionism as the reason for not getting stuff done because it is a way to get out of doing it if I don't feel like it's perfect or I'm just not ready. And what I've embraced is setting deadlines that are on other people or that are really, I guess they're on me, but other people know about them so that I can't keep putting it off. Like I was doing this parenting workshop thing and instead of just wait, wait, wait until I'm done with it, I put it on the calendar and I broadcast that. So that it forced me to get it done, no matter how good it is, that it doesn't have to be perfect. 
and that just being done is more important than being perfect Mm -hmm. with everything basically and just putting some effort in and then pushing forward rather than holding back and saying I'll do it later I'll do it later this came up again this week because a few weeks ago we were I was getting haircuts with the kids and they ran out of time and they couldn't cut my hair and I knew that it would like be a pain to try and get another haircut scheduled because our schedules can be kind of crazy during haircut hours. And so I just put it off, put it off, put it off. And my hair was so long that I finally went today. I just went to one of like the places that you can't even make an appointment for where you just have to show up and then just sat there and waited so that I could get my haircut. But if instead I had just embraced, okay, I just need to get something on the schedule. We'll make it work then I probably could have got my hair cut a couple of weeks ago. I wouldn't have been able to make the locks of love donation that I was able to with my long <laughs> hair today. Um, but it would have been done much earlier and I wouldn't have had the annoyance of having to take time out of our family time to go get my hair cut. What about your other self-sabotage thing that you mentioned? The other one is I like to eat carbs, especially if I'm stressed or busy or bored, then carbs are kind of my go-to thing. And I haven't done very well with improving myself at eating carbs. I did much better during Lent because I just did no desserts. And I'm kind of one of those people that I can do something if I just go all in. But if I kind Mm -hmm. of go half in or I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll cut back, then I'll still have the three cookies from Subway for Mm -hmm. (laughs) $1.19 instead of the one cookie. When I could really just get by with like a little dove chocolate or nothing at all. And I would be best off just saying, I'm not going to have sweets except for on Saturday and Sunday. Mm -hmm. And that would, that would work much better for me. So maybe I'll use this podcast as a way to hold myself accountable by saying, I'm only going to have sweets on Saturdays and Sundays, but I'm not going to do that right now. That's just something I'm thinking about. You're not committing to only Saturdays and Sundays. This seems too brazen to just do on air. (laughs) I need to give it some thought. Okay. So give it some thought and maybe can I circle back next week? Yeah. The holidays are coming up. I mean, the 4th of July. Oh, the the 4th. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to commit to anything right now. Okay. Well, thank you for your update on self-sabotage. My two things that I shared about on the podcast were um, staying up too late that I use my evening time to read books And the books were becoming a problem because I was staying up way too late reading. But the other thing was I had put social media back on my phone. And I would find myself saying, oh, I'm going to look up this thing because of this book that I'm reading. I like to read a lot of historical fiction. So I'll try to... I don't usually read on a Kindle. A lot of people who read on Kindles would maybe like look up the name of the city that the story is taking place in if they're reading on a Kindle. But since I'm usually reading an actual physical book, I don't have that option. And so I'll pick up my phone if I have it next to me. And then that turns into mindlessly scrolling Facebook instead of just putting the phone back down after I'm done looking up the thing. So I had said last week on the podcast that I was using the podcast as a form of external accountability. So I committed to leaving my phone on the kitchen charger at bedtime and then using my bedroom alarm clock on the bedroom dresser 
to wake me up. And I shared a link in the show notes to my alarm clock because it's super cool and I'm not getting paid for this. It's one of those alarm clocks that mimics the sunrise and it lights up the bedroom. And that part doesn't wake me up. No, that doesn't do anything for you. (laughs) But it does create enough light in the room that I can get up out of bed and walk across the room and turn it off without injuring myself because I am blind as a bat. Um, But more than anything, it just gets me out of bed. And then I also don't have the distraction of my phone on my nightstand. But so an update on how all of that is going. I was doing really great at the beginning of the week. But I would start to say, oh, I'm going to let myself stay up till 1045 tonight since I didn't make it up here until 10 o'clock. And then it took me 10 or 15 minutes to get ready for bed. Can, can we talk about the getting ready for bed routine? Cause yeah, it's really rough. I'm <laughs> Yeah, for Philip, it's it takes two minutes. And I think I'm starting to resent the amount of stuff I have to do to get ready for bed. But... That's a topic for another show. But because of that, it takes me forever to get ready. And then I feel like then I deserve the extra 15 minutes that I lost from getting ready for bed. So I was staying up till 1045 at the beginning of the week. And then it slowly crept toward 11 another night. And then it turned into, oh, I have book club this night. So then it doesn't count or those sorts of things. So overall, I did better. And one night you took my phone. Oh, yeah. And did some online shopping for a yes. long time. Oh, on yeah. On my phone and I couldn't even go to sleep because <laughs> I had to wait for you to be done with my phone so that I could set my alarm and plug it in so it charged. Oh, yeah. Because I had left my phone in the kitchen, but I told you I wanted to look something up because I said, oh, yeah, just give me five minutes real quick. I want to look up. I want to find a large oversized tray for the ottoman. And by the way, everyone, I scoured the internet. I couldn't find anything Hours except later. on Etsy. I stayed up so late. It was mm-hmm. so dumb. Um, yeah, famous last words. It'll just take me five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I lost a lot of sleep that night <laughs> because of this thing that I thought I had to do right away. But yeah, so I didn't do as well as I hoped, but I am committed to giving it another try this week of leaving my phone in the kitchen. I do think that that helped. The other stumbling block I had is I love listening to audiobooks. Mm. They help me to fall asleep and my audiobooks are on my phone and I don't have another way of listening to audiobooks at bedtime. But I think if I had the parameters of my phone that kept me off the internet and social media, I was locked out. And I didn't know the passcode. <laughs> yeah, we tried that. But then you figured out the passcode. Well, you gave it to me. That's true. Um, so that if would I, work. I think, you could do that. I think that would work. But that's I, what I do. And I don't know the password. And at 930, I can't do any social media or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And if I use my social media time up earlier in the day, then I can't do any even once the kids are in bed. Because I only have like an hour total of social media time for the whole day. Yeah. So I think we just need to do a new password and then it needs to lock me out of Safari too because I don't want to have the internet because then I'll start doing crazy things like typing in facebook.com and going around the app and all of those other self-sabotaging things. I have a problem, but the first step is admitting it, isn't it? Yeah. 
You've done that. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, listeners, I want to hear how your self-sabotage is going, if you have any updates for me. I think I ran into at least seven people this past week that told me, oh my goodness, I listened to your episode. I am totally self-sabotaging too. So I'm going to check in again next week and I want to hear your updates. You can email me at podcast at katherineboucher.com or as always, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Okay, so the other reason I invited Philip to come on the show tonight was to talk about the dinner table. And I, what inspired this was I recently finished reading a great book, and if you haven't read it yet, I highly recommend it. It is Colleen Carroll Campbell. She wrote The Heart of Perfection. And you might recognize her name because she came out with a beautiful spiritual memoir a couple of years ago called My Sisters the Saints. And I know that that is a really popular book among my circle of friends. But in this book, she's talking about spiritual perfection, how it's different from perfectionism, and how the really hypercritical lens that we use as perfectionists, we can somehow apply that to God and think that he's viewing us in that way and how damaging that is. So she goes through talking about all these different saints and how they've applied the truths of Christian perfection as well as the negatives of the um, imperfect definition of Christian perfection that we think of as recovering perfectionists. And she also includes one heretic in there as well. Mm -hmm. But one of my favorite parts of the book, and I can't remember where she put it, but there was, she mentioned she had read this article. And in the article, the writer said that as a family, they made the decision that each night at the dinner table, they would share each person would go around and share one mistake that they made and what they learned from it. And both the mom mom and the dad participated in this activity. And after I read that, I told Philip about it. And I said, I would love for us to start doing this. And we mm-hmm. did it for a couple nights. And then I don't remember what happened. But our routine got off. And then we stopped doing it. But I would love for us to circle back. But tonight I thought it would be fun if we talked about the couple of nights that we had started doing that and how it went. So do you remember the kids' reaction when we first said what we were going to do? Everyone's going to go around. We're going to share a mistake and what we learned from it. I think they were surprised to hear that we make mistakes. Was it Jane or was it Walt who said... I can't remember. One of them said that, and then the other corrected that somebody that they do make mistakes the kids all meld together for me it could have been gloria that said oh stop it 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 was either jane or walt one of them said mom and dad make mistakes yeah and it was a good chance to remind them that we make mistakes from time to time oh not just from time to time all the time right (laughs) well (laughs) maybe some of us i made a mistake once just once yeah So um, we went around the table and each of us shared a mistake that we made. And the first night that we did it, Philip shared a mistake that he had made and he had happened to be on call that day. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, I forgot to see a new baby that had been born in the hospital in the morning. Like it, I just happened, we get like, I get a text message in the morning that has the new babies that I need to see. And 
I read the name wrong. I don't remember the specifics of why I didn't see them. But then I realized halfway through the morning when the hospital was calling that I had made a mistake that I needed to go back and see them. And so um, that's what I shared with them is that I forgot to round on a patient in the hospital. And then what was, do you remember Walt's response? I was like, wow, that's a big mistake, dad. Something like that. (laughs) He he (laughs) He was really shaming you. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So he heard dad's seemingly really big mistake that night. And everyone else went around and shared something else. And we realized, okay, they need to hear mom and dad make mistakes. And then not only sharing what we made a mistake about, but then also how we worked through through it. So if it involved another person, how we had to ask forgiveness, like in that scenario, you would have talked to the family and said, sorry, I wasn't able to see you until now or things like that. So that the kids realize mom and dad make mistakes and then they do something about it to try and ask for forgiveness or create an opportunity for reconciliation or make amends or whatever the situation warrants that mom and dad are going to be vulnerable with us as their children to say, yes, I'm imperfect. I make mistakes. And then after you make a mistake, you have to be honest about it and then move forward in the right direction. Right. That's a good lesson to share. In this case, I did just tell the parents that the nurses messed up. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm just kidding. The nurses never make mistakes. No, the nurses are the heroes. They are the heroes. I was just kidding. Yes, I did tell them that it was my fault that I made the mistake. And it's a good lesson for the kids to learn that parents make mistakes too. And we can work through those mistakes. Yeah, so maybe we should talk about how you shouldn't project your mistakes onto other people. But again, (laughs) that's another episode. Um, So, and then last night, we didn't go around and do the what mistake did I make exercise. But because we had started that conversation last week with everyone going around talking about the mistakes that they made, Last night when I made a mistake, the kids were very sweet about it and very compassionate. So the very abridged version of what happened is we have a lot. It seems like there must be something in the water because just about how many families do we know that have had a baby in the last year? All of them. Like, honest to goodness, 30 different families. So there have been a lot of meal trains Lots of opportunities to sign up for meal trains. And I signed up to bring not just one, but two families a meal because our signature move is to triple a recipe and then deliver it to the two families and then come home and eat together as a family. Right. So last night I peeked at my calendar because I'll sign up for the meal train, put the family's name on the calendar, and that's my reminder to deliver the meal to that family. And last night I had one family's name on the calendar. Philip is the man. He took care of making the meal and I went and I delivered it and I walked back in the door and I, I, if I'm really honest, I was feeling really good about myself. You gave yourself a high five. I saw it. Yeah. I gave myself the gold star and then I walk in the door and then I receive a text maybe a second after I put my purse down. I'm ready mm-hmm. to sit down and join our family for dinner. And I get a text from another mom from our parish saying, 
Hi, Catherine. I see that you're signed up to bring our family a meal tonight. Just wondering what your ETA is. <laughs> and I, my first thought was, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not signed up to bring her a meal. This must be a mistake. So I go to my computer and I pull it up and... Sure it's enough. not it's not on the calendar, but then I look in my emails and what had happened was I got the two emails. One from the one family that I was supposed to deliver a meal to, but because I got the two emails from the meal train calendar thing, it got lost in my inbox. Blah 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 blah. Gmail combine them together. Yeah, see I'm Google's fault. I'm trying to make it Gmail's fault, but it was mine because I didn't put it on the calendar. So I had to scramble last minute, call the Valentino's pizza and they pulled through for me and this poor family had dinner really late last night from Valentino's instead of a home-cooked meal and she was so gracious about it and I told her I was so proud of her for texting me to begin with to find out where's dinner because if she hadn't they would have just been sitting there starving Mm -hmm. but oh my goodness so the kids are hearing Philip and I talk through all of this and hearing me call this mom and get their pizza order and all of this. And I was feeling really bad about it. And it also made me realize when our kids watch us go through mistakes like that, that if they're watching us really beat ourselves up, that that models for them that it's not okay to make a mistake. Right. That's a good thing to take away from it, too. Yeah. And being able to let it roll off your back. Like, mm-hmm. I made a mistake. But I fixed it and we can move on. Right. Because I think that that's something that I'm still working on a lot in my personal life. But being a mom, it makes me realize how the things that I think are not on display are. And there are lessons Mm -hmm. that they're learning through my day-to-day actions. And so last night, fortunately, I was aware of that. And I was able to just say, oh, wow, I made a really big mistake I fixed it. I still feel bad about it, but it, big picture, it was not a big deal. Right. It's not the end of the world. And this family forgave me, and mm-hmm. we'll see them probably this Sunday at Mass, and we can laugh about it, mm-hmm. and it'll be fine. So I hope that our kids were able to learn that from watching us go through that, because everyone makes mistakes. Everyone's been there. I was actually hosting um, book club last night that was the other reason why it was a little bit stressful and at book club as we're all sitting around talking about the book the heart of perfection Mm -hmm. when i completely (laughs) dropped the ball i shared with the girls about the story of completely screwing up the meal sign up and two of the girls that were there last night said oh my gosh i just did that last week and then (laughs) (laughs) we were all laughing and i said oh my gosh what if it was the same family if you just did it I told them, don't tell me. (laughs) So they need a fail-safe option built into Meal Train, where it's like, did you? They text you, did you send so and so family a meal? If not, click here, and we'll send them some pizza. Yes, yes. I need not just the reminder. Right. I need it to be yes to be automated enough to actually give the people the food. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So. Yeah, we can have a good laugh about that. But we love the idea of talking about that at the dinner table. It's just an opportunity for the kids to realize mom and dad are not perfect, that they need to model that for the kids. And that 
it's good for the kids to have the practice of saying, wow, I made this mistake and to normalize talking about the mistakes Mm -hmm. and that we're not going to judge them when they make the bigger mistakes. And it's something that we can work through together as a family. Right. So I like that. Um, So there was also another thing that you said you wanted us to start doing at the dinner table. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. As I was thinking about it, I I felt like we should also have something positive because the mistakes is kind of like, here's what I did wrong. But then not necessarily like, here's something that I did right, but something that I'm grateful for because I think making sure that our kids as they grow up um, have a good sense of gratitude, how lucky they are, how... um, everything that has gone right for them just to, to make sure that we hold on to that and that they um, are grateful for the things that we've all been given, that we've been blessed with, that we've worked hard to attain, that all of those things that, that they remember that it's worthwhile to be grateful for those. Because I had read something somewhere about people that write or say the three things that they're grateful for each day or happier people overall and things roll off their back more easily. So I just kind of wanted to implement that as part of it, too, as kind of like we talk about our mistakes, but then we talk about something that went well for us and not necessarily something that we did good, but something that we're grateful that happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you brought that up because um, this ties in perfectly with that book, The Heart of Perfection. She talks about the Saint St. Ignatius of Loyola who created the examine prayer And for those of you who aren't familiar with the examine prayer, it's basically a way for you to examine your day, to go through the different parts of your day. And those of us who are recovering perfectionists think of the examine prayer as a way to do a laundry list of all the ways you made a mistake that day and how you can make it better the next day. But instead, if you really look at what St. Ignatius of Loyola says, it's an opportunity for you to review the day not just where you went wrong, but to start with a place of where was God in in today? Where did I see God working today? And how did I meet him? And all of the awesome blessings. And when we come from a place of gratitude, when we start there, it's easier to have a better perspective and be grounded in reality of, oh, yes, I have an abundance of blessings right, right now. And if you start from that place... It's a lot easier to not be as harsh with yourself or as harsh critical with other people and to give the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. You know? And there's a lot of good that comes from that spirit of gratitude. So I'm, I think that that would definitely be something that's worthwhile. I think I have a question for you as a pediatrician and as a dad. So at what age do you think you need to start shifting the child from giving a seemingly superficial thing that they're grateful for? to something that maybe is a little, a little more meaningful? Or do you think it's always appropriate for the thing to be, like if Dorothy, our three-year-old, were to say unicorns? Right, that's what I was thinking that she would probably always say is yeah. unicorns. I don't know, I feel like just allowing them to be grateful for what they're grateful for rather than try and lead them to be grateful for something that they're not. Yeah. Just to allow them to hear what their siblings are saying they're grateful for. To, for their siblings to hear us, what we're saying that we're grateful for, and then just to lead by example and allow it to happen naturally rather than saying, no, unicorns aren't real. Yeah. You know, let's think of something else. Just if she wants to be grateful for unicorns, 
then let her be grateful for whatever she's grateful for until she decides that she's grateful for her backpack or, you know, <laughs> the house that she lives in or her brothers and sisters or mm-hmm. more advanced things. But I think just, I think that that's something that we've seen over the time with our evening prayer too, is because yeah. we go around and we say, what do you want to pray for? And slowly it morphs from Thomas the Train and unicorns to, you know, our baby Gloria or Grandpa Mel, or it just kind of works its way through those things into more serious topics as the kids get older on their own of things that they want to pray for. Yeah. And now that we have school age kids, I think you're totally right that now that the younger siblings have the older ones that are old enough to model what a more, I don't want to say sincere, because I think Dorothy sincerely is grateful for unicorns. But what I'm trying... She's also proud of everybody for staying in bed at night. When we do our praise reports on Sunday nights, that's what she says for everyone, is that she's proud of them for staying in bed at night, even mom and dad. Yeah. Well, it is something to be proud of. Yeah. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say is when they have the older siblings modeling, when you have an older sibling saying, I'd like to pray for my friend who's sick, or I'd like to pray for Mm -hmm. something more along those lines, then they start to realize, oh, yeah, those are those people in my life that... I am thinking about too. And they start to connect the dots with that. And it also makes prayer and things like talking around the dinner table more of a positive instead of mom and dad are telling me I'm wrong. Right. You shouldn't be grateful for unicorns. You shouldn't pray for your pink dress, those sorts of things. Just allowing it to happen naturally. I like that. So what order do you think we should do it in? Do the mistakes first and end on a high note with the things that we're grateful for? Yeah, I like that better. I think ending on the high note is just a good way to, to leave things. You've you've said your mistakes, but you're ending on what you're grateful for and moving forward from there. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of our friends' families, I think since our kids are on the younger end, our oldest is going into fourth grade, our youngest is three months old. <laughs> so we still have relatively young kids, and we aren't really doing the extra sports or other activities at this point. But I know a lot of families in the summer months are really battling to try and get the family to sit down for a family dinner. Right. And it might be tough for them to make these conversations happen on a day-to-day basis. So... As a pediatrician, I know we've talked a lot about Dr. Meg Meeker. She is a huge advocate for family dinner and all the great things. But if that's not a reality right now for some families, what advice do you have? I usually tell people just to do it in the car because you're in the car together. And you can put a movie on as you traverse across town or everyone can tune out in their devices or you can just sit and talk. And that's a time that you could do the exact same conversation and make that a memorable moment, especially if you're in the car a lot going from baseball game to baseball game or whatever, um, just to use that time because we do that. Like um, when we come home from the pool, we usually like get the kids to bed ASAP when we come home from the pool. So rather than get out of the car, move everyone inside, try and herd all the cats to the dinner table or to the couches when they have their wet swimsuits on and all of those things, we just sit in the car in the driveway or in the garage and do our family prayer time there bef- while everyone is literally captive and buckled in. 
and it's just as smooth. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would even consider going after the car and buckling people <laughs> in just for family fare on a regular basis. Those five-point harnesses, Dorothy can't run off. Yeah. Um, so if you're in the car a lot, if you're together a lot doing whatever, then that's a, as fine time of any. Or if you can't be together, you can use FaceTime or something like that, or just exchange it over a text message. If you're if your kids are older, they're teenagers, you could just have a family text thread that everybody chimes in with what they're thankful for and grateful for or prayer intentions or whatever. Yeah. So I would still say the ideal is family dinner. I don't yeah. think that you should try and abandon family dinner time completely. If you can even make it happen once a week, I think that that's a great goal. Right. But um, I think it's okay to be creative in that there are going to be chapters of your family's life where you're not able to make it happen every night. But if, if you're making a concerted effort to try and have these deliberate conversations about what we're thankful for, individually and as a family and also what mistakes we're making and how how we're learning from it and also the thing we didn't talk about is how to troubleshoot because maybe a child or us will make a mistake and we don't know how to make it better we don't know how to make amends or how to work through it or it's something a child has never faced before i think that that's another great opportunity about talking about it as a family or if it's something a kid isn't comfortable talking about at the dinner table it's been a normalized thing so that mm-hmm. when it is high stakes, they feel more comfort- comfortable hopefully coming to you on the side outside of the formal dinner table conversation to have that one-on-one talk with you. Yeah. I think just normalizing mistakes is rather than trying to punish or hide or cover up is better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, those are all the thoughts that I have on dinner table conversation. I would love to hear from you listeners. What is the dinner table looking like for you these days? Are you struggling like we have at different times with just keeping everyone seated or trying to get everyone on the same schedule? And what's working, what's not? And I'd love to hear if you're doing something similar. You can email me your feedback at podcast at katherineboucher.com or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Until next time, don't be afraid to begin again and share what you heard while you were folding.